Hey guys, and welcome back to the Cinema Slayers podcast. Is I the man that quit smoking for good because I started smoking for evil, Sterling? We've got a spectacular episode for you guys today. Starting off, though, we have the leading lady of your Cinefan hearts, Heather. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us. And next, we have the candy bar in human form, Devin. Thanks for making the choice to listen to the man with the caramel voice. So glad you're here. Sit back and listen and uh, have a beer, unless you're driving. I'm glad you put that disclaimer in. We could get in a lot of trouble for that one. (laughs) Uh, We do have a really awesome episode for you guys today. It's another one of our Rebel Without a Crew episodes. We have, we're kind of going a little full circle. We're going back again to what our first introduction into Rebel Without a Crew was with the movie Monday. We have the lead actor, that's right, the main character of Monday, Jamie H. Young. Hey, thanks so much for having me, guys. All right, Jamie. So we're going to start this off like we start every episode with a guest. We are going to play our little game. It is a play on the Walking Dead, the the questions that Rick asks people whenever <laughs> they join the group. It's a slight, slight play on that. But we're going to start it off okay. with what are your top three TV shows? My top three TV shows? Well, my all-time favorite TV show, the one I grew up with and just it's a go-to for me, is uh, Frasier. With Kelsey Grammer. I just think it's very witty. I think it's timeless. Okay. It's just funny. And, and you just feel really uh, like you're part of that family. You know, so I flick it on all the time. I always go back to it. All right. You're too smart for me. I can't talk to you. Highbrow comedy. Indeed. <laughs> I, like poop, I like poop jokes, to be honest. With you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like cheers then. <laughs> Uh, other 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 shows. Um, since I've been in LA, I really got into Entourage. I never gave that uh, um, too much attention before, but man, it's uh, it's almost like my life, <laughs> almost. <laughs> nice. Now, it gives me a lot of insight into uh, into Hollywood and that whole scene, and you know, just so many things you recognize, and so many you know people and how they how they act, how they how they want to act. How they pretend to act. It's just, it's so it's so, so it's funny pretty too. realistic. You know what? It really is, and that's yeah. only a little bit of the Hollywood that I've, I've gotten a chance to see since I've been. It's funny because Bola said the same thing. Entourage is one of her favorites, ah. uh, and she spoke about the reason why it's because it's it's truer than you would want to think. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think that's just interesting that you said that. So that's really yeah. Cool. How it's like that's awesome. it, It's so LA, and LA is all about. And a lot of life really is about the interpersonal relationships, which it's funny how those relationships and, and coincidences and twists of fate, how they trump like years of training and experience and all this other stuff. You know, it's just that you happen to meet that guy because he, he sells bagels to, to Larry David, you know, and, and you get your bagels from the same place and you run into Larry David on that one Friday and he starts talking about bringing you on to Curb Your Enthusiasm and you guys use the same tax guy. You know, it's totally random shit and going to the right parties and going to the right festivals and, you know, having an agent that uh, that can package your material because they also represent or used to screw somebody that it just goes on and on. It's just nuts. And uh, I think that's what L- L.A. very specifically is about uh, embracing that that crazy. So were you like humble bragging that you're going to be the next Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> No, That's what that I, don't, was. I don't even pretend to be from the mean streets of anywhere like he does. Uh, but, you, you know, <laughs> I, I'm more of like, a, I, I hope to be more of like um, maybe a Ben Affleck type where I, I really look at the, the whole picture 
Okay. Hey, okay. hey, hey, don't you ever. I'm sorry. I have to. Let me stop you there, What's Jamie. That? Don't you ever question Mark Wahlberg's gangster pedigree. <laughs> this dude has a hate crime on his record. He has a fucking. He took a guy's vision because he was Asian. Really? That's a true I'm story. Not. Yeah. Yes, that is a true Yikes. story. He is a straight up felon. Yeah, he's a straight up. I can see I was wrong, but I want to say the guy was Korean, and that's why that song that that song that song "Good Vibrations" is about him hitting an alleged Korean man in the face (laughs) with a bat, and then him feeling it. What is happening right now? That's what that song was about. In in all seriousness, in all seriousness, when when, uh, Mark Wahlberg was younger, like him and a group of friends beat up an Asian guy like so much that like. Uh, his optical nerve or something got severed and the guy's like partially blind from it now and all Jesus kinds of Christ. stuff. Like he was convicted of a felony yeah. with a hate crime or something like that back in the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I can imagine more mm-hmm. than that. That's- so all those times you see him being a racist in movies. Yeah. He's not, he's driving for real life experience on a mm-hmm. way happier note than that. Jesus. I think okay. you and me are going to be best friends because I love me some Ben Affleck. So there you go. The fact that you said you want to be a Ben Affleck, I'm like, ah. Oh, I like that. That makes me happy. Yeah, I'm on board with that, too. I, I, I like the way he's developed his career. You know, he's been in yeah. a, a lot of different movies, had a lot of different, been with a lot of different filmmaking friends. You know, Matt, Matt Damon and uh, 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 Kevin Smith and, you know, how he transitioned into directing. And uh, he's just he's just a really good guy to, to model yourself after, especially uh, being in the, the film industry a little bit more holistically. And that's how I look at it and how kind of everybody above the line has to really look at it these days. You have to, Mm -hmm. um, you have to lead on all fronts. You know, no one's going to make your movie for you because everybody's trying to make their own movie, you know, and that's if you're a writer, an actor, a director, a screenplay writer, you know, just, you just gotta, you gotta start working on all those fronts and, and build the value in yourself as much as you can. For sure. And he was the bomb in Phantoms. So okay, <laughs> I I had never heard of the movie Phantoms until what was it? Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, and they kept saying the line, you know, when they were making fun of Ben Affleck, but he was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. And I had never seen the movie Phantoms, and I finally tracked it down. I got it, and I watched it, and God, that is just one garbage fucking movie. <laughs> just, but I will say this: the two shining lights in that movie, yeah, a is is, is Lee Schreiber. Because he kind of plays a character that kind of goes back and forth. Because I, I vaguely remember this. He got possessed by the whatever alien creature thing was there. The Phantoms thing. Yeah. So he does that very Leif Schreiber thing of where he can be very serious. But then he can be the like that kooky crazy. You know, yeah. he can be his character from Ray Donovan. And then also like Sabretooth. Like yeah. just switching back and forth. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's a very Leif Schreiber thing to do. And he's amazing in it. And Ben Affleck, he really is the bomb in that movie. It's just a complete dumpster fire of a fucking film. (laughs) But he is amazing in it. Because, I mean, he does just a very solid job. He plays like an ex-FBI agent who had killed a kid accidentally. Like, they were doing doing a bust or something like that. And he opened a closet and there was a kid. And it was a little kid, but he was pointing a gun at him. Mm. And just instinctually, he shot the little kid and he died. And like, so he's got like this... PTSD and this like emotional connection to it and he like portrays that very well in the movie I'm like you're acting way too good for this fucking movie like you're showing emotional depth in a movie that's maybe an inch deep <laughs> well maybe he didn't know how it was how it was going to be edited or marketed right you know, he just he yeah. was oh, doing no, it from, I, the, and from I, the script and the director and 
Well, I mean, he, I'm just saying he did his job, though. I mean, oh, he yeah. did his job. No one else did. I mean, except for Leave. Him and Leave did their job. No one else did. <laughs> but I will say that, like, he did his damn job. And that's all you can really ask for at that point. But what, what's your third show? So we don't get too sidetracked. Yeah, Mr. Robot. Nice. I just got that's, that is a super good show. Yeah, I pretty much just binged it. Yeah, it was on Amazon. Um, Rami Malek, yeah. Bohemian Rami Rhapsody. Malek, baby. Uh, it was, it was really intense, and it just got me from the, the first episode, mostly because of the cinematography, really, and, and, and the sound design. Those were two big factors where I was like, what is happening? I'm, I'm on board. I, I want to I figure this out. Yeah. I still, I'm not sure I know. Like After three seasons, like I'm still waiting for the final season to be made before I go, <laughs> oh, that's why they were... <laughs> you know, I, I keep reading about like the cinematography, how they... Um, they're, they're framing their characters and, oh, it's because of, um, uh, the, the society around them is being very oppressive. They're talking, uh, you know, off camera because the, uh, these two characters are not connected or the, the difference between the power dynamic in this scene. It's endlessly fascinating. I think it's, it's, and it's very, um, uh, that, that risk, um, of, of a series being able to do that, that, uh, was it on USA or some yeah, cable, cable show? Okay. Yeah. It was very, um, very brave of them to uh to start moving in that that direction I, I think there's so much noise now there's so many different platforms so much great content that people are 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 pushing those boundaries and trying to experiment visually um, orally it's fascinating and I, I love that that's the the new trajectory one thing that attracted me to that show and this is from like a very inside thing is the way they actually portray uh hacking and doing things like that is legitimately incredibly realistic. Like so much in, in movies and TV shows, they make hacking a very like glorious and kind of like like visually exciting thing. And yes, I'm looking at you, the movie hackers, um, <laughs> where they do like those weird things like that. But like hacking legitimately is you're in an interface kind of like uh, putty is a very common interface used in networking and things like that. And uh -huh. It really is just basic lines of code. Like that's all it is. Like hacking, you're, you know, it's using IP addresses and things like that, but it, it, it's, it's code. It's not like what you see in Swordfish or, uh, you know, like I said, hackers or any like of 90 billion different things where they make hacking like supposed to be like super exciting. No, yeah. it kind of looks like the code in the matrix. It's <laughs> a very boring fucking thing. Uh, visually speaking, it's a very boring thing when you look at it. But I like the fact that they kind of, they went realistic with it. Like, that's what it looks like when you hack. That's what you have to do. You have to do, you know, you really do have to do physical manipulation. Like, there's an episode where they put a Raspberry Pi yeah. uh, into a data center and things like that. Like, sometimes that's what you got to do if you're going to do something like that. It really can't be like, oh, they're connected to the Internet. <laughs> I'm going to get in through this back door. I think even a general audience like these days would think that's not realistic. And, and they got to they got to find some other way. And maybe going back to the well of, wow, how do hackers actually do this stuff? And and then they're making it look interesting and, and building the tension in different ways. That's that's a great way to uh, to approach the material cool. as well. And I liked it. I liked it in the first episode when they showed essentially what you do with phishing. Like you call somebody up and just like, hey, you know. I'm with your bank. Somebody tried to log in. I need your, you know, I need to verify some stuff with you. So what are yeah. your, you know, and it's like you go to their website, you put in the email address and be like, forgot password. And then it's going to ask you the questions. And you ask them over the phone. Uh, what was your uh, childhood dog's name? And you just type it in and go and you get in their account. Like it really isn't something like crazy or anything like that. No, they'll call you and just trick you. Mm. <laughs> 
Fun fact about the Matrix Code. Does anybody know what that actually is? Wasn't it Korean or something like that? It's it's something very basic. It's recipes in a Chinese or Japanese cookbook. That's what yeah, it is. I knew it that's was something like that. Was. It was it was just something very boring. That's all it was. And that's all it was. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, just recipes of a cookbook. And then another little inside coding for you people. If you actually look at the screens in the Matrix and stuff like that, the amount of code they're showing, and you know, and they're like, "Oh, that's a woman in a red dress," and "Oh, that's a kid," you know, licking a lollipop. No, literally the amount of code, the the amount of code that's on that screen would be like pretty much be like there's something red in this world. Mm. We just know there's red in it. Like the amount of code there would be yeah, the exactly, most yeah. insignificant of details at that point. Like you like even when it's scrolling and it's scrolling in the stupid way, every yeah. like line is scrolling down, like every column scrolling down. I'm like, who the fuck would code like that? These robots are stupid. <laughs> exactly. How the fuck did we lose to these robots? They code in the most inefficient way ever. A machine. But on that note, we will go to question two. What are your top three movies? Ooh. Hey, um, let's see here. I, I think Jerry Maguire's got to be my my most favorite movie of all time. It's got a it's got a lot of heart. It's got a lot of music. It's got a lot of action. It has these? That is a sneaky good movie. It's a sneaky good movie. I think it's it's highly underrated, and a lot of people make make fun that that there were like a lot of VHSs, and you always see one at, like in a garage sale and things. And it's like, yeah, but they made a lot, and it, and it was really popular. It was a big Cameron Crowe movie with with all of these celebrity actors at the height of their careers. The script is very succinct. It's just a lot of flavors, a lot of a lot of heart, a lot of fun. I I, I go to, to that me, movie a lot. <laughs> see, to me though, the bad the one bad thing about that movie, I'll say. Is it kind of, to me, it gave uh, Cuba Gooding a little bit too much credit because, you know, he wins the Academy Award for that movie. Yeah. And ultimately, he's never really done much since then or really even before that as far as acting goes. Like, that was the one movie that really kind of was him, like, being a good actor. I think he got a lot of credit for that movie. And then he really never did anything. Before well, that, did like you he like played him? smaller roles. Yeah. Did you like him in The People versus O.J. Simpson? Okay. First boys first. In the hood. Yeah. Boys he, in the hood. he did Boys in the Hood. And that was, and he was good in that, but was he Academy Award winning actor in that? Well, but I mean, no, no, I'm just it saying. comes right down to it, one, if you know how people get Academy Awards uh, and how films win awards, that's, that's, um, yeah, that's kind of a subjective Up until area. that point, he had played smaller roles. He was always an ancillary character. And then in that movie, all of a sudden, he's like skyrocketed and he's a name. Everybody knows Cuba. Oh, yeah. But that's not an anomaly. There's been a lot of actors and actresses who have have gotten an Academy Award and then just kind of flatline. And that was their peak. Some people are like some actors are just like people in high school. Some performers are just like high school. They peak in high school and they never really reach those heights. And then some people are like slow burners, like a Ben Affleck, you know. He took a while to get started. No, no, no. Uh, and and now you know. I do agree with that. You well, know, some people said with like Leo DiCaprio, right, that he won the Oscar for The Revenant. People said, "Wow, he should have gotten it for uh, um, for What's Eating Gilbert Grape," and that was like his his first big movie. But he did such a tremendous job. It was very well cast. But he was he was so terrific in that. And that was yeah, such a hard true. role to pull off. Right. And and he was he was great in The Revenant. Nothing against that. I no, kind of feel like they just kind of did it, but it was I, like very much. I the, think they kind of just ended up giving him that for like a lifetime achievement. A hundred percent. Or Martin Scorsese with The Departed. I mm. love The Departed, but it is not his best movie in yeah, any way, like shape, that. or form. But it was kind of a 
It was a lifetime oh, achievement. It was a fantastic report. movie. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that fantastic. Is. But that's how good Scorsese is. He can yeah. make a fantastic movie. Like, this is fantastic, 100%. but this isn't his best. Yeah. And it's it was a lifetime achievement. And I do feel like somebody like Leo d- does deserve that, though, because he has been phenomenal in so many movies. It's just every year that he was nominated, it just felt like there was always that one person that had that transcendent role the same year. Mm. And he could just never escape that. And also, a bad thing about him in a lot of his movies also, is he always picked a lot of roles where he might have been the main character, but he would always kind of get a little overshadowed by somebody. Days of New York. Well, yes. I mean, there's no one that can live up to Daniel Day, though. Mm. I mean... Daniel Day's a force of nature. You put him on screen with a bag of shit and he's going to make it like dynamic as fuck. But I mean, but Leo just he had a bad history of doing that. I mean, you look at uh, Catch Me If You Can, where he was great in that movie. But then you also have like Tom Hanks in that. Yeah. Overshadowing him a little bit. Uh, Even in uh, Inception. Inception, he was kind of overshadowed a little bit by Tom Hardy in that. Yeah. And Michael Caine. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, you always surround, but but that's that's uh, you know when you're when you're working at such at the echelons of of Hollywood, you're going to be working opposite big names under big directors. You're you're always going to be like under consideration in, in a lot of ways, and I think to to expect to to win or be nominated all the time is it, it's almost beside the point. It's just people that want to work with people that are working at the height of their careers. The, the, it, it's just like in basketball, right? And uh, in, in, in different in different sports, but I, I don't know why I was thinking basketball, but it seems like a lot of these players, they want to get together. They want to play play together in Ohio or Florida or with, with the Bulls. They want to create that dream team and play just for the sake of not, not winning, but just being able to play with each other because they know that they're, they're just so good at what they do. And that, that that's, I, I, that's what I want to be able to achieve. It's not... It's more about the work for me and working with the people I, I truly respect. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I and I, I do 100% agree with you on that because I to me, that was always a credit to what Leo did, though, is because like in a movie like Gangs of New York, that should have been an Academy Award winning role for him. But he knew going into it, he's going to be across from Daniel Day-Lewis in the role of the butcher. Yeah, because he just wanted to play the game. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and I would... You know, as much as like Cameron Diaz was kind of a lit down in, in that role, like I don't blame her for taking that either because I'm like, oh, you get to work with Leo and Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're going to be in a spectacle on the screen. She said, sign me up. Oh, exactly. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Even if you were going to get out acted all around you, people give her a lot of flack, but how, let's see how good you do. Let's see how good you do next to these titans uh, in this industry. Yeah, exactly. Um, you put, if you get put in there, let's see how good you do. Let's see how good you look. Exactly. It's like, yeah. if you were, it's like can, pros versus Joes. There's a little bit of a competitiveness. Yeah. Can I hold my own against that? I don't know. Let, let's see. I, I, I want to risk. And it. you have a generational, you have a generational actor like Leo, because I do think he's one of the best actors of, you know, that generation of actors. And then you also have Daniel Day Lewis, who is an all time great, no matter what. Like Daniel Day Lewis is like the epitome of acting greatness. And so, you know, just like, yeah, like Devin said, like, who the fuck really can stand up to something like that? You're, you know, with two greats and you're always, like, no matter what, you're going to look bad in comparison. Listen, I will say this. When Leo didn't win for the Aviator, I was pretty angry. Mm. I think that's the role he got robbed in. Um, I will give you that. Without a doubt. That was, that was my favorite movie for a period of my life. I was watching that again and again, and now it's on Netflix. Yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. is it? Just came on a little while, like oh, a couple months ago. Yes. See, I would watch that, but mm-hmm. I have to watch 
Puppet Master's Lilith's right tonight. So <laughs> Okay, fuck. Can we get to the next movie? What's your next favorite movie? Please. Fucking spare us this. I think Midnight Cowboy. Have you guys seen that uh, movie? Okay. Wow. No, I haven't, but okay. I've heard good things about it. All right, man. Yeah, with John Voight and Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman is one of my uh my my great idols. Uh and it's a it's like an American dream type movie, you know, he's gonna make his his He's going to start his career off. He's from Texas and he goes up to New York and the, he sees all the, the, the lights of Times Square and he, he thinks he can be this, this stud and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, uh, you know, take, take all these women and, uh, and earn money from, from, from that. And, uh, I, I just like how it's told. We see a lot of the, the, the marketing of, of the American dream and it, it degrades. His his life doesn't end. You know, he he starts working with Dustin Hoffman, and they're they're just trying to just trying to scheme their way out of out of poverty, out of out of starvation. You know, they're just trying to clamor at whatever they can, and they they end up trying to move on from New York to Florida. You know, and maybe it's maybe there's hope down there. Maybe there's a life for them down there. Um, and it's it's a little bit despairing of a movie, but it's very it's very grounded, very gritty. That's awesome. I looked it up. I have seen that movie, but it's been like 25 years. Yeah. That's another one I can just stick on. And that soundtrack is just really haunting. So, what's movie number three? Movie number three <laughs> might be Tootsie. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to have a top three. You know, things keep, keep shuffling in and out. But uh, yeah, that's always up there because of, of Dustin Hoffman again. I think it's a very perfect script. It's funny and people awesome. underestimate comedies, I think. Um, yeah, it has a great cast of characters, um, and it's a, <laughs> and it's about the acting profession. So you got to be a little bit self serving in that, um, and just the the lengths people go to, um, not not only in the the acting industry, but in 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 life to to be who people want them to be, to kind of fit a trend, to kind of fit fit in, just with the people around you, not just the professionals, but like just your friends. Yeah. It's funny. I was uh, reading an interview with Dustin Hoffman and he was talking about um, Tootsie and he says that he never looked at it as a comedy mm -hmm. when he was portraying. And I just thought that was really interesting. Well, at, um, at the heart of most comedies, I, I think like, it, you know, he's the straight man, isn't he? You know, he's surrounded by a lot of characters. And even though he like dresses up and becomes mm -hmm, his yeah. character, it's, it's yeah. more of he's fulfilling a service to the people around him that are so colorful, yeah. that are so of a different world that he has to fit in by dressing up as a woman. And he's like, he was like Tyler Perry. Hey, can we just, can you just do the <laughs> Dustin Hoffman hat trick? What's your favorite Dustin, Dustin Hoffman movie? It's the graduate. And I, I've seen that a, a bunch of times and I was lucky enough to see it on the big screen yeah. um, a couple months back at the, uh, at a theater downtown. They were, they were premiering or, you know, screening it because it was an anniversary and they had uh, one of the screenwriters. I think it was one of the screenwriters or producers still alive he was on stage talking and uh someone that written a book about it and the the guy that played the um uh the groom that she's supposed to marry he was there he got up on he got up on stage for a second that was fantastic and it's a, such an la movie again and people were were laughing in the audience about all the little the uh little la references like they came all the way from tarzana everybody thought that was hilarious <laughs> yeah the the funny thing about the graduate is when I was younger, uh, of course, I saw Wayne's World 2 before I saw The Graduate. So, yes, I was just about to say the same uh, story. I never understood the scenes at the end of the movie, you know, um, 
I mean, I thought it was, I always thought it was funny, you know, cause he was at the wrong wedding and then he goes to the right one and you're like, Oh, that's, you know, that's funny, whatever. And then, you know, a few years later, I see, I, I see the graduate and I was just like, Oh, fuck. <laughs> that's what it was. I get it. That exact same thing happened to me. I was like, Oh, I get the Wayne's word joke. There was more joke inside of that joke. That's yeah. That same exact story. Same exact story. I was going to tell that same one. I Thank think I like story. when the ordinaries made extraordinary. You know, when we get to see these people's lives change internally through their very um, extraordinary circumstances. But these extraordinary circumstances aren't all dressed up. They're very uh, they're they're circumstances, environments that we really know, we can really relate to, or at least. I I really relate to those those movies that are you know in my top three or ten or a hundred because I've I, I can't just put my 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 sh- my feet in those in those shoes I've I, I have been there I have been to New York I I have been in L A and you know my dad's like you know what do you want to do with your life you know uh, Jerry Maguire you know we live in a very cynical world that yearning for hope that yearning for individual growth is something that I strive for as a person and as an artist, and that, that, that's what I, I really um I really latch onto. I really try to try to uh, try to grow in myself. Um, you know, there's so many avenues now for people to develop themselves. Yeah, and I think that can really be paralyzing. And maybe I find that kind of paralyzing. Uh, there, there's so many choices. You know, you don't want to make you don't want to make the wrong move. You don't, but you don't you don't want to not do anything either. You got to just keep. And, and that's, that's like the law of our, of our, of 2018 America, you know, c- keep creating content, keep saying something, but then, you know, how do you curate that content? That's, that's the big question. And is that a lasting question? You know, are people really going to read your tweets in a hundred years? Well, you know, Disney is now, Disney's firing a director for tweets, you right. know, and it's, and that's not, that's not to, to go off on a tangent. It's to say that Everything we do is building a body of work. Everything we do is developing ourselves. But how do we do that and how do we curate that on a daily basis? It's, um, it's kind of unanswerable, but I'm always yeah. trying to, to figure out what, what all that means to me. What do I actually value? Mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think it's intention. Um, it's intention. Yes, you're, you're building and you're, and you're forming and you're shaping your life. But um, most of us don't really understand that. Uh, uh, human beings were oftentimes very short-sighted, um, and the big picture only reveals itself after we've painted ourselves out of it. So we get into a psycho a cycle of just constantly trying to um, keep from making a mistake instead of learning from those mistakes, so that it will become instinct for us to make a better choice. Uh, so I guess that's where the folly and the trip up comes, and 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 way while you know. In in a hundred years from now, nobody may not read your tweets, but you know, in in twenty years from now, somebody might read your tweet, and that could affect your life, yeah, positively, negatively, or something in between. And so, when you tweet, you have to understand that uh, everything that you do is is in a half life of sorts. Nothing that you do really is an end until it's done, until it's ended. And sometimes, well, after you're gone. It'll, it'll continue to manifest itself. Uh, so I guess that's that's what makes it so hard because such finite beings that we are, uh, we have mm. to think in the long term. I, I'm drawn to those types of people too. Like um, like Frank Zappa is my my favorite musician, 
And he just has vaults of, of recordings and live recordings as a lot of his songs developed and, and, and changed during tours and different re recordings with different uh, session musicians and, and guys in the band that came in and out. And it's so, all the songs are, are so different. They're kind of living, breathing things. And like Stanley Kubrick, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about um, how I've been watching The Shining on repeat as I moved into my, my creepy little uh, empty studio. Uh, <laughs> he was uh, editing The Shining up until he died. And that was way after that movie had been released in cinemas. He, he'd been working on um, a, a few other movies, but that, that was one that he felt he was, wasn't quite right, I guess. He kept tweaking it in different ways in terms of editing and post-production. And so when is, I guess nothing, I like, I like thinking that nothing is finished, but as, a, as an artist, nothing is ever finished. But as a person, you do have to put things out there and then move on from them. And that's what I think my top three mo movies, maybe I'm reading a little bit too into my th top three movie choices. <laughs> We're getting a little deep here. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, it's really awesome. But uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, that's, uh, maybe that's where I am as a person or, or just in this phase of my life. This has led me, though, because I'm very curious about what your answer is going to be to this third question based on okay. what you said so far. What is your biggest guilty pleasure when it comes to TV or movies and why? My biggest guilty pleasure. Well, I guess it would. Well, does it have to be a specific title? Because I think my, my biggest guilty pleasure is I watch the same things that I like again and again and again because they're very comforting. It's like, hmm. you know, gr grabbing some snacks or. That is a profound answer that we've never had before. Huh. No. Yeah. I, f I, I really feel guilty because there's so much content. There's only more and more getting pumped out and so much high quality, high quality <laughs> movies and TV show I mean, sometimes when they're, they're like, um, for example, um, The Other Side of the Wind, right? I'm a big Orson Welles junkie. So I had to go see that at the cinema. I had to have that theatrical experience. And it was on Netflix and it still is on Netflix. And the documentary as well, which is only on Netflix. Um, but I had to go to the cinema because I'm like, I cannot miss this. This cannot just disappear into Netflix. I, I never see it or I see it after the, like, it's after its expiration date is how I kind of think of stuff like that. And so when I, when I watch the same movies again and again, I'm just like, oh, I got to be discovering something tonight. Come on. Put a little effort into it, Jamie. <laughs> I get that. I, I'm very guilty of that, especially with TV shows. So I understand that. Hmm. I, I, I was kind of hoping you were going to say something like, uh, was it uh, Mr. Megorium's Wonder, or Wonder Emporium? You know, I've never <laughs> seen that and I want to see that so bad. I just thought you were going to keep going with Dustin Hoffman movies. I know. And I just thought that was going to be <laughs> That it. would be amazing. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Actually, okay. So, you want a title. The title is Sphere. You guys ever heard of that okay. one? Okay. Oh, yeah. I do remember that one. Yeah. I actually think it's like yeah, not the worst Sphere. movie. I remember Sphere. <laughs> it, but it's definitely lacking. And it kind of, having read the book a million times, it kind of almost doesn't make sense the way that they made the movie. You're kind of like, wait, did he go into this fear? <laughs> like, they're, they're, the way that they're telling the story, especially towards the end, is just like, they ran out of time. And they're just like throwing in scenes and bits of dialogue and stuff that just helps wrap things up. And it kind of doesn't. But it's an all-star cast. And it's basically mm -hmm. a great book. So As, as soon as um, they were like, what's your name? And it was like, <laughs> hi, my name is Jeremy. I was like, Jeremy. Named Jerry. Yeah, exactly. Extraterrestrial right. life. Jeremy. Yeah, I have I had I had a friend named Jeremy 
And so that was the first. And he's like this mm-hmm. short little guy, very athletic, but very, very small. Like Kevin very Hart small? small. You know, like, I don't, like he would have been a great athlete. Yeah, like Kevin Hart small. He would have been a great athlete, but he just, you know, after, you know, yeah. he never got the size necessary oh, to shit. be a pro in anything. But he was fantastic at sports. He just didn't have the size. And so when... When that happened, and as a kid, you know, I was a small kid. I'm not small now, but I was a small kid, and I was bigger than Jeremy. And so when that popped up, I was just like, Jeremy, (laughs) how can I take this serious now? (laughs) Well, yeah, it's supposed to throw a wrench into things, and they don't get it, but... It threw a wrench in it, all right, but not in the way for me. And it's not an awful movie. I think the way that they told it, yeah. I think maybe it just even works better as a book. I don't know. Yeah. But the, the squid yeah. stuff, I wanted to see a lot more of the squid and ah, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm I'm very I'm still disappointed in the movie and so I keep watching it hoping to like find new elements of it to like. That's my guilty pleasure. You can just watch Arrival <laughs> instead cuz I think Arrival is very sphere-esque, but like I loved done Arrival. Right away. Arrival was fantastic. I well, I won't it. spoil the end of Sphere, but that's that's a great like childhood idea as well. Yeah, the, yeah, the, it is. the idea of sphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the concept is not what's wrong with the film; it's the execution, which is yeah. what happens with a lot of movies. You know, it's the execution of it all, not the concept. The concept is is great. I agree with you there. I mean, it could have, but thank it you for giving like, us a title. Sure, there you go. It could have been the. I'm going to put. I'm going to say this. It could have been the apocalypse now of science fiction, and that's all I'm going to say. Damn, really? I, I got to read Sphere, the book. I got to read the book been. now. That's Apocalypse what I'm now saying. Is one of my favorite films. Heart of Darkness, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm down with that. Uh, yeah, I would go into how much I like Apocalypse now, but I've, I, we've already done that on the podcast, so I'll move on. Uh, okay. Yes. Great um, movie. Yeah, I'm going to have to read this book now. Uh, you've... Yeah, Michael Crichton, man. And they made a lot of great movies. They made some bad ones, too, like Timeline with um, uh, Butler, Gerard Butler. Uh, was not good. But, um, well, but Jurassic Park, it, obviously. So that pretty much guarantees it's not going to be good. So <laughs> I'm just saying, you can at me, at me if you want, all you Gerard Butler enthusiasts. But that dude <laughs> ruined every movie he's in. <laughs> you didn't like 300? Yeah, he didn't ruin 300. Well, I was getting there besides 300, but oh. Zack Snyder ruined the rest of that movie instead. They swapped out. Like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> you be good in this and I'll mess up the rest of it. He was like, cool. Cool. <laughs> this is Sparta. I'm, I'm, I'm going to find a movie he didn't ruin. No, we'll, I'm not we'll keep I'm going not but while he, I'm looking. Listen, you know what? Oh, you man, know I've got first, two right now. My, listen, two right wait, now. You know my first two. Gerard. And listen, I have just, you can get the two. But here's my Gerard Butler. I have a, a, a really big chip on my shoulder with him because the very first movie I saw with Gerard Butler, guess, I'll give you my age, I'm 32. You guess what my first movie of Gerard Butler I watched? Yes, I love you. Rain of Fire. Nope. nope. Then I Tomb wish, I wish, I wish <laughs> that was the first movie that I saw no. was P.S. I no, Love No, no, you. no. I know what it is. I know what it is. What? Dracula 2000. That is exactly what the fuck it was. <laughs> oh, man. And I have never, ever, ever, ever forgiven him for that. Him and Tate <laughs> Diggs. All of them. Everybody associated with that film. Man, how Dracula do you stay 2000. mad at Tate Diggs? You can't stay mad at him. I, and I didn't because he did that one thing. I can't remember the movie. He was like, we're about to celebrate. We're about to celebrate. Ding! My divorce! 
once and I was like, oh, brown sugar. Brown sugar. I was like, yes. brown sugar is one hands down my favorite yes. Tay Diggs movie. I know that movie brown inside and out. Good. Brown sugar is good. I love that one. Was he in Love and Hip Hop too? Was that him and Sonal Lathan also? I don't think so. I mean, are you talking about Love and like, Basketball? No, 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 no. It's something about hip hop. It's a hip hop movie. He's like a producer. Well, that's Brown Sugar. Is that Brown Sugar? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I like that movie. And it's one of the very few like black movies that I really like from like the 90s, got, early 2000s. And it's got Most Deaf and Queen Latifah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Queen, Latifah. Uh, Queen Latifah from Sphere. It's a good rom com. Yeah. From Sphere. <laughs> you were right. She was in that. I love Queen Latifah. Full circle. Full or should I say full, full sphere? sphere. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That jokes. That's what I'm talking about. Jamie. Mr. Young, you are a great man. <laughs> this is this is quite fun. This is fun. I okay, like this. So, okay, yeah. Real quick, though, because I do have two movies I know right off the top of my head. I can say without a shadow of doubt, Gerard Butler did not ruin because <laughs> they are pinnacally amazing movies. Okay. Both of the first two How to Train Your Dragon movies. Okay. You are Fair right, enough. sir. I uh, you I stepped in that one. He was actually amazing in that, <laughs> but you never see him. If How You Train Your Dragon was live action, he would have Oh, he's the it. voice of the dragon? He's the voice of the no, dad. He's the voice of oh. dad, of Stoic the Vast. Okay. You've never seen Dragons? N- no. I've never seen it. Dude, you fucking bastards. I, Both I of you, I feel betrayed. <laughs> well, no, you, you, have, you have children. No, 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 no. You I don't know have why children. you haven't seen it, mister. I see the same fucking movies all the time that well, I've seen Sterling. a hundred times. <laughs> your, your inability to let go, like you said you try to do, to let go, put it out there, and move on has stopped you from seeing one of the best animated I love franchises. how right before this, he was like, Whoa. you are a great no, man, no. Jamie. And I was like, one of how the dare best? you? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yes. It's no, Jason, or, or Devin, Devin is 100% right. Those are, like, those two, and I'm look, so looking forward to the three. What? I think when the third one comes out, when the third one comes out, oh. I'm going to say it now, I think it will be a better animated trilogy than Toy Story. Oh, boy. Dude, I'm telling okay. you, you need listen, Jamie. Please watch these films. I, 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 I would have a personal phone call with you if you had time <laughs> to talk about them. Whether you loved them, well, whether you see, hated I'm them. not a big dragon guy. Like even when, like, I, I love Game of Thrones, but when like the magic stuff started coming in, and she's like, "Oh, look, I have these dragon eggs." I'm like, "Oh, that's cool. They're not real dragon eggs." Okay, they're dragons. God damn it. The movies, listen, <sighs> because listen, the yeah. movies are not about dragons. It's about fucking family. It's about family, man. It's not about dragons. Well, that's bro. the same reason I don't like the it, the Fast and the Furious family. series because that's supposed to be about family too. But no, I'm not whoa, into like whoa, tuning up hot rods. No, how? Driving into skyscrapers from skyscrapers. Jamie, okay, Jamie, Jamie, please stop. Okay, listen, we're having a good time. Okay, <laughs> maybe I had a little bit too much. I feel I feel like uh, this conversation is getting heated. Okay, I want to pull it back. Pull it back, okay? Okay. There's okay. no need to uh, com- compare Outstanding <laughs> Dragons to Fast and the Furious. There's no need to do... No, Devin, you missed the point on that. <laughs> you missed the point on that. I He says he didn't like the Fast and Furious movies. That's the more important thing you're skipping over. Because those movies are fantastic. They're fantastically <laughs> funny. Yeah, they're really funny. <laughs> oh, they are amazing movies. Cars took down a submarine. Yeah. It's fun. Oh, that is the greatest thing I've ever seen. In it's really fun, but I, that's not what I search <laughs> out. You know what I mean? Well, I, I guarantee you by how to, if you watch How to Train Your Dragons, I guarantee you within the first 30 minutes of Dragons 2, you will not be having any fucking fun. <laughs> I promise. 
I think you sold me right there, Devin. I promise okay. you, we have no fun. Well, but on, on, no fun whatsoever. On like, kind of a serious note with it, though, like, I mean, do you, do you like dogs or cats, Jamie? Uh, my, my, I've always grown up with dogs. My family has three dogs, but I don't really like seeing them in movies. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm just asking because, like, I mean, because you were saying you don't like dragons. And How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah, it's actually about dogs. It's. Well, it's <laughs> it's kind of like the relationship of like people with their animal. Oh no, a little more than no. is specifically about dragons. No, Sterling. No, 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 no. That's like that's like that's like Lassie and. Oh no, 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 no! <laughs> not <laughs> to that degree. I was I was about to pull that back a little bit. Okay, because it's not like Old Yeller where, where the or red Marley fern grows. Remember that? Oh, yeah, it's, so sad. it's not that. Oh, that's mm. a good one. But, that is a good one. Oh, but it, it is one grows. of those movies, though, to where if you've had a pet. Or just something like that, yeah. and you have had a relationship with it. You'll you'll understand the dynamic they have between like the main character Hiccup and his in his dragon uh, Toothless. You'll just understand yeah. their relationship. Okay, and it's you know, and and while they are dragons, like physically, you know, in the movie they are dragons. It's they do put a little bit more of a unique spin on it than you traditionally do in say something like a Game of Thrones. You know, mm-hmm. where you know if you look at like. Traditionally, in the, like the whole fantasy realm of things, when you look at dragons, they're always these big, hulking, you know, massive things. Yeah, they've got they've got some dragons the size of a sheep. Okay, you know, oh. you actually see uh, you, they got some dragons the size the size of a goddamn. Oh, like um, like um, yes. in this movie, like Eddie just, Murphy listen, and Mulan. Just, just, yeah, just, like that. But no, yeah, I'm just like saying, that, like, like that. it's, it's yeah. not like the way they do dragons is kind of more like not like it's a fantasy thing as more as like they're just an animal type of thing. Okay. Yeah, they're an animal. They're, they're not like these big mystical creatures that you have to go fight to get gold okay. or anything like that. Just seriously, man, I, I can't recommend you watch these movies enough. A guy like <laughs> you, uh, very philosophical, very emotional, uh, would okay. love these oh, wow. films because and, you know, a lot of us are yeah. philosophical and emotional, even if we... And, I, and one last thing before we do move on, because we do need to move on, is I do want to take offense to one thing. <laughs> Okay. And that was Jamie was talking and you said that like of course Devin's seen how to train your dragon because he has kids. But that kind of Oh fucker, no. Well, no, I saw no, no, because no, I, no, I, no, I have no, no, way before on. I had children. I was offended by that because I don't have kids. Okay. I don't fucking want them. I love those movies. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the movies because I love animated movies and I will always love animation. And I could give a shit less. Well, what right. my kids well, like. But I, I think I think you can watch I love them. a movie that's firmly in the genre of children and family without having children or a family. But I think that inherently a movie that's within that genre is made for that audience. That's who they're targeting. That's all I'm saying. We'll see. I mean, and I, I get what you're saying, but like to me the the what always makes the the good version of movies like that good, what you would call like a family movie essentially. Yeah. The the ones that are good, like transcendently good, like something like a Toy Story, yeah, or or something like very close for me is like a Paddington Bear too. Okay, is they're good to people of all generations, not because they essentially try to target different demographics with each joke. Like something like a Madagascar or a Shrek had specific adult only jokes. Yeah, you know, I hear when Madagascar you. is doing when Madagascar is doing a weird reference to a. Uh, you know, American beauty that was dated even when that movie came out and, you know, when Shrek's having like compensating small dick jokes. Yeah. Those were adult only jokes. So instead of trying to do something 
that is good because it's legitimately good. You know, they tried to have, this is the adult joke. This is the kid joke. This is the adult joke. You know, instead of just doing a joke that kids and adults can both laugh at, you know? Yeah. So, and I think, I think how to train your dragon is very much in that realm of when it makes a joke or does a scene, it, it will transcend, you know, your age demographic for the most part, you know? Okay. Yes, of course, there's always going to be something like kind of quirky and dumb that little kids will laugh at. That's just what they do. But for the most part, like whenever they do an emotional scene, it's something that will hit kids, but it can also hit you as an adult because it finds a way of connecting it to things that no matter what your age is, you can probably relate to it in some way, shape or form. Yeah. So it's okay. It it is one of those movies, though, that like I, I get what you're saying that inherently it's see, I don't want to ever call it like a kid's movie to me. It's a family movie because. It really is designed to where adults can get legitimate enjoyment out of it, separated from their kids. Like, yeah, it's- no, I think when people say a kids movie or a kiddie movie, that, that, that's derogatory, and I and I wouldn't say it it was something like that. I, I, I there are definitely movies that are kiddie movies, but I, the way I've heard about uh, How to Train Your Dragon, I didn't. I thought it maybe had a little bit more going on, but wow, guys, I have to check this shit out. Oh, you do also be it's just even on a technical standpoint, the renderings on these dragons are fucking beautiful. Mm, shit. And not only not only that, but um, you sound like you're a script guy. The script is just very heartfelt um, and, and it's, it is really tight and the themes are very consistent and the character development is amazing uh, in these films. And it, it really is just really great. Uh, but I do have some questions for you. Jamie, oh, sure. have you ever seen Up? I love Up. Okay. Have you seen uh, Inside Out? No, I missed that one. Okay. So, you, yeah, that's one to put on your list. Have you ever seen like Princess Mononoke or Howl's Moving Castle? I don't know those. Okay. So those are those are Japanese. Uh, but I was just, I just wanted to check because for a second there, I'm glad you said kitty movies is derogatory because for a second there, you sounded like uh, the people were just like, if it's animated, it's a child's movie. No, and like you watch, you watch uh, the f- opening sequence to Up. Uh, you know, I like my animated movies. Like I like The Giving Tree. They handle complex adult themes like mortality and sacrifice and growing old in a way that a child can understand it. So when you watch it as a child, you get one thing, and then yeah. when you watch it as an adult, you get many, many other ones. And yeah. so that's kind of how Dragons is. Okay. So if you're if you're down with that type of thing, like up, definitely check out Inside Out. That is a that is great. Pixar. I I, I am a staunch supporter that Pixar does not make children's movies. They make animated movies that children can enjoy. Yeah. But no, definitely. And I, I missed um, Incredibles two. And by all accounts, that was an extremely heartfelt, very yeah, very resonant really good, film. Man, it was worth a fourteen year wait. It yeah. Was, it was worth it. It was worth a fourteen year wait. But seriously, Pixar fourteen fucking years. <laughs> I mean, I know cars makes you a lot of money, but come on. See, that's that's what was the most insulting about that mm-hmm. is in the amount of time between Incredibles one and two, there were three fucking cars movies. <laughs> and I think maybe cars, right? I I haven't seen cars except for like a little, little clips in here Don't. on like TV. That's no, a kitty movie, that's right? Fine. Yes, yes. That that was actually I was gonna say that. I was like, yeah, you can skip that one. Have you seen Doc Hollywood? Yes. Long time ago, yeah. It is Cars 1 is literally Doc Hollywood. Oh, no way. And that just reminds me, though, 
of Rebel Without a Crew. Oh, so what are we talking about? Okay, yeah, Rebel Without a Rebel Crew. Rebel Without a Crew. You're in Monday. <laughs> you're you're the main character. Uh, yeah, Mr. Monday. So let's. So I'll, I'll just start. Off, well, I'll start off with like a very basic question for for. Well, a lot of people don't know this, but my character's last name is actually Monday. That's oh, not true. A little trivia. Oh, I was true. like, that, man, that's, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. That's mean. I've been drinking. You can't do that to me. <laughs> I'm way more gullible when I'm drunk. Knew I'd get to and Sterling. I'm just gullible. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, Rebel Without a Crew, the series. Yes, yes. So, we'll just start off with like a very basic question with it and everything like that. So, sure. To you, like with this experience and things like that, you, you said you've been in LA. So, you've been kind of working in the business and everything like that. So, what was the craziest thing about filming that, that movie in two weeks? Like a whole feature film. Two weeks, $7,000. Like, what was the craziest part of that for you as like an actor and everything with it? Well, craziest part was that we, we were able to fit it in. You know, we only had those two weeks. We only had nine hour days. Um, we weren't allowed to work on the weekends. And in, in my experience, I'd been in the past working on indie films where it's all hands on deck at all times. We're, all, we're just going, going, going. And there were rules where we, we weren't able to do that. You know, we had resources that were budgeted for within those two weeks as well. You know, we, we, we were in a, f- a foreign city, so we couldn't at the last minute reach out to somebody for uh, a piece of equipment or for, uh, for a little help or there's nothing like that. Uh, it was inspiring that within that short time frame, we could make something that was so action packed. Alejandro Montoya Marin, the director of Monday, he has such an eye for editing. So while we're filming, he, he knows what he will be using, how the shots will cut, you know, from one scene to the next, from one take to the next. And you really need to know that if you're an independent filmmaker, because if you have two weeks, if you have however much time or resources, you just, you have to get what you need to get and you, you can't keep shooting. People want to keep shooting with digital now. You know, they think, oh, you just hit record. You know, oh, we'll, we'll just get this. We'll just get that. We'll get... Well, what you're doing is you're wasting time and that's time you can't get back because outside of something like this, where you, you have the two weeks, if you do have a little bit more time, you do still have to honor everybody's time because they're giving it to you for free or a greatly reduced cost. So a lot of those, a lot of those lessons and ideas really did come to me through this experience. I, I love it. I, I'm always learning. I'm learning from everybody around me and I'm learning from you guys and, and the different experiences you've had and the different Movies that influence you. I don't know if you, are, you guys are actively um, uh, directing your own indie films or you're just, you're big fans or. We're just big fans, honestly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, every day I'm learning more and more and I'm talking to different people. I'm listening to different podcasts and just because, man, I apologize if I'm being repetitive, but I just have all these, these ideas and then the, the technical details of it. And then I filter back up to the big ideas and then I come back down to the, the technical details of it. Oh, we're here for it, man. Don't even worry. Like, we're excited. We, we want to yeah. know all these things from, I think that's especially because we've been, yeah. we've been hearing a lot from the directors. So it's just cool to hear from like the actor's perspective too, you know? So that's sure. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually going to be starting my own podcast. Um, really? imminently. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's cool. And it's, it's, it's going to be really from, from the actor's perspective and, and, and technical, uh, ideas about acting for Hollywood films and, because I, I know okay. a lot of people come from from theater training, and and it's mm-hmm. really kind of like adapting that to like these indie film sets, even like the the mechanics of of that just working, and then mm-hmm. and then the the artistry of it, and how everybody's kind of 
massaging their technique or their experiences into the new opportunities they're finding themselves here when they're when they're when they're um, like at AFI or mm-hmm. you know doing a short film or right or a co-star role. It's so different. All of the different mediums of acting, especially out here in Hollywood, because they're all right next to each other. All the different mediums, yeah. You know, where you can be in a different market where there's only like a couple different, you know, there's, there's like a community theater and then you're doing voiceover, you know, well here it's, it's, it's all of it. And you, and you got to be good at all the different ones and, and working with all the different people and all the different types of sets, because you want to be working as much as you can. You want to be pushing uh, that content, creating it and collaborating on content as much as you can so that people don't say, well, what have you been doing this week? Right. You know, it's, oh, well, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, I've been working, blah, blah, blah. Well, have you been working on your craft? What, what film is coming out next week that, that you, you were in? You got you to gotta be working because everybody else is. Or there's new people that are arriving from out of town. So you got you to gotta keep it up. You got to keep on the treadmill. The, the, uh, the treadmill. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's really cool. When it comes to, you know, Rebel Out of Crew and, and shooting Monday, it seems like you've had your legs moving really fast. So can you tell us about, I don't know, did you got, I don't know if you already covered this. I got pulled away also because there was some stuff going on in the house. Uh, how did, you know, getting to Austin and being in the movie Monday and how did that affect you as far as like you moving location to location? What was that like? Yeah, I, I had to be super prepared. I had to come in and be able to do the, the table read as, as it should ideally be with all the different ideas about the locations that are in the script, with all the research and references that Alejandro had, had written in the script and we had dialogued about. I had to come in and know all that to a T so that we could have the flexibility of, oh, we're not doing that running part here. We're doing it here. So uh, camera's up in five minutes. Um, you, you know, at what point in the story you are. And, and, and a lot of this, uh, a lot of the movie, um, for the people that probably haven't, uh, maybe, maybe they're following Rebel Out of Crew on, on Go 90 or now that it's on El Rey Network, they're starting to understand a little bit more about the, the story of Monday. But it's about a guy named Jim. Uh, he's an office worker. He gets fired. He goes home. He gets dumped by his girlfriend he's been living with for a while. And then he gets abducted by these, uh, these assassins in a cartel that want him to kill the guy his girlfriend left him for. And um, I'm not going to spoil any, any twists, but there is a lot of running. And um, that's true. There's a lot of locations that then repeated themselves. And that was extremely intelligent of Alejandro because it looks like we have a lot of production value in the fact that we were moving locations. But we were able to shoot out of sequence so that we used one location that's at the beginning of the movie. At the end of the movie, we could, we could shoot that at, at one time uh, if we were lucky. Um, but because of uh, time and lunch, lunches that, you know, we had to have lunches at certain times and um, some things, some locations fell through, yada, yada, yada. Things did get rearranged. So you had to know exactly what we were going into um, that was changing underneath you and how you had prepared that and how you might have to kind of tweak that. And it was only really tweaking these different elements. And you have to be very, um, you have to always be listening and observant of the director, the, the assistant director, who was Kenneth McLaughlin, um, Ryan Halsey, who's helping with lights, a little bit of cinematography. Uh, you, you have to kind of listen in, but be out of the way so that you understand what is, what's coming up, what we are shooting, and how it's going to be shot so that you can tweak your performance for that specific, uh, for that specific setting. 
what what was the experience like of like you're you're doing a TV show at the same time as you're filming a movie, right? So it's just right. like nonstop, like all the time, right? So I'm just right. curious, what was that like for you? I mean, I imagine that that's probably not an experience that you've had before, you know, in any other filmmaking thing that you were doing. So what was that craziness like? You know, I just want to know for the actors, yeah. like a day to day, like what? I don't know if I'll have that experience. Again. I mean, it right. was it was incredibly unique. I know I keep saying it, but it was a career altering project um, to be able to work <laughs> under Robert Rodriguez effectively, and to have right. this crew there that was documenting us, and you know, from our director, and, and it, it was not a competition. So there were no winners, there were no losers, which is great. Robert Rodriguez really set out to make it more of the challenge, more of the the opportunity of you haven't made a feature film yet. Why is that? Well, it's because you think you need more money, need more resources. Well, here, we're only going to give you $7,000 and you have to shoot it in two weeks in a city you've never been to. It's going to happen. There's the accountability of having that crew around you, documenting it, saying, you got to keep running. You can't fall down. You got to keep. And, and if you fall down, that's okay. Don't judge it. But you pick yourself up because you're on TV. <laughs> and, and so that was a little, that was I'm not going to lie. That was stressful, especially to the directors who are leading. They're steering this ship. So, you know, any any misdirection or a, anything that was p causing a problem, I'm sure they're they're thinking that that looks like a personal fault, as opposed to it really projecting all of the all of the the true obstacles that people have when they make independent films. And I'm sure a lot of the world doesn't know how difficult it truly is to make an independent feature film, especially for such you know tight resources. Um, and it was very strange when we first showed up at uh, Robert Rodriguez's, um, he had like the filmmaker's house. And that's where we, we met Alejandro and everybody for the, for the first time when we were on the project, you know, and, and this woman comes, we, we all came in, in this one, um, this one car and we pop out and this PA runs up quick, 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 you know, sign these things. We can't have you on camera unless you sign all these, uh, these image release forms. And so we're signing, signing. Okay. And she's on the radio queuing people around the corner that, you know, to get their, their equipment up and ready because, you know, the cast of Alejandro's film Monday have just arrived at the filmmaking house and we turn the corner to meet Alejandro. We do the little meet and greet, getting ready for the table read. And then they say, okay, uh, uh, can you do it again? And from that point, I was like, <laughs> okay, okay, I, th I, think I, I think I get it. And what, what we were a little bit worried about was whether they would kind of amp up the drama or tell us to change the way we did things. Oh, yeah. For the way it did appear on television in any yeah. kind of way. And they didn't. To their credit, they did not. All they did was have us repeat certain things or say things again. That's all they ever did. And that's terrific. And, it, and that, that's only because they wanted to capture certain moments that were extremely genuine, extremely um, authentic, informative. Yeah. yeah, authentic and informative because it's a, it's a, it's a show about for educating independent filmmakers, inspiring independent filmmakers. That's what they really want to do. And they want to capture all the really juicy moments that are just there because it's one hell of an ordeal. It just naturally is. So fr from the get-go, and then we were starting to actually interface with the, uh, our, our little um, uh, docuseries crew. And we started to get to know their names. And uh, Jason R. Martinez, he was um, the producer of our, of our film films uh, segment. And just the nicest guy, you know, they were extremely accommodating. They gave us a lot of space um, and, and they were very communicative with us when it came to their needs. And so it, it, it was quickly um, 
just kind of part and parcel to the project. We were like, oh, what's this? You know, this is a foreign, foreign, uh, you know, being documented. It, it could, um, yeah. And in these different personnel, it could, could, could create that kind of aggression, animosity. Uh, it, it's just a foreign object. But then quickly it was kind of, they were part of the team in a lot of ways. They were there for the ride and very supportive and communicative. So that's cool. Almost from, yeah, from day one, I just said, okay, this is how it's going to be. Wow. And that's, I don't, I feel like that's definitely not going to be everyone's experience doing, you know, a TV show like that, you know? So that's really, that's really unique and cool, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. And I can only speak to that as, as Jamie Young, as, as the lead actor in Monday. Um, you know, di- the different actors and actresses, uh, AD, you know, Ryan, Alejandro, and then the different, mm-hmm. the different teams, they were, they were working with different, um, people in their production crews. So, uh, you know, everybody had a unique experience uh, in a way. Um, but I think it's really healthy to take on, uh, everything around you. You kind of have to incorporate it into the storytelling. If you don't, it's only going to affect you in a negative way. You know, you got to find ways to make things a positive mm. to, to, yeah. to make things work. And that's, that's indie filmmaking. Just that's by definition, indie filmmaking, make things work. Every person on set has to be contributing to making the film work. If not, there's a problem. It, it has to be rectified or that person has to go because it's only going to make this gargantuan task infinitely more difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when it comes to filming the, the TV show or the movie, like, can you name one specific time that you were like, or you look back on it, you're like that this was like your favorite moment of like when you filmed the movie or like, was on the TV show or something like that. Like what was just when you look back on it, your favorite like part in well, it? Well, there were two, there were two really big moments. And, and, and those are pretty obvious from, from the observer. If, if you're watching the go 90 show or, you know, staying tuned to the El Rey network screenings right now. Um, I think we're getting ready to have Robert Rodriguez visit some of the sets. And uh, he came to our set on a very important scene. And it was because he'd read, he was very intimately acquainted with everybody's uh, scripts. And so it's the scene where I get abducted by the assassins of that uh, that cartel. We had to make that scene work. Uh-oh. And um, all, and Robert Rodriguez is there, you know, meeting everybody, shaking our hands, saying, "What you got? Hey, Alejandro, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. don't mind me, you know." And he's and he's peering over his shoulder. And I got and there's some great shots in in the show of of Robert and Alejandro there. I mean, it's like Jedi and Padawan right there. I mean, it's perfect. Um, and, and just getting to meet meet him officially for the first time that and it's it's on screen. It's part of the show. No one can deny it. Um, and, and be not on his set, but just in, in the presence of that, you know, it, it felt like history repeating itself. And um, I didn't think of it as much as I could have during the actual filming because I'm just trying to, you know, keep the sense of, of the character and of, of the story we we're trying to tell at the moment. But it was definitely a landmark moment in my career. Uh, the second uh, was um, uh, the, the final night when we, uh, we wrapped. And that was, I mean, there were a couple times where it was, it was really sinking in. That was, that was the first one. Um, there were maybe two during South by Southwest when we actually premiered our feature films. So this was a few months later. We, we filmed these in October of last year. And then we, uh, we premiered our films at uh, South by Southwest this past March. And uh, a lot of us stayed there for the whole week, really enjoyed South by Southwest, which was a crazy festival, and got to hang out with Alejandro at, at this, uh, this world-class film festival. It was um, uh, really a chance to decompress 
even though it was months later, <laughs> um, because it was such a whirlwind, the actual project, you know, the, the, those two weeks. Um, but yeah, Alejandro being in the parking lot um, behind this, it was this, this pizza, this pizzeria where we'd had uh, several different shots. We, we went there maybe twice, maybe three times um, because we used different parts of the parking lots, uh, the restaurants uh, in, different, in different scenes. And we did a little bit of running on the final night. And they were all night shoots, by the way. I, I don't think I ever mentioned that. So that was another element to um, all the craziness. And uh, Alejandro had prepared, um, we finished the, the running scenes, and Alejandro had prepared this, uh, this letter, you know, thanking everybody personally for their, uh, their support. And it was... That's awesome. It was a, a rare instance of, yeah, of, real, of connecting with Alejandro. And it was an extremely genuine, um, very vulnerable, emotional um, moment. And um, it, meant, it meant a great deal. It, it still means a great deal. That's super cool. Wow. Speaking of which, of, of those highlights and those moments that stuck out to you, um, what's a, a lesson um, or something that you now take in your own everyday life or even, in, you know, you uh, becoming better at your craft? What's something that you learn from Rebel Without the Crew that you're going to use from here on out? In terms of filmmaking or in my personal life? Well, well in terms of filmmaking, um, like I was saying earlier, I'm a, I'm a big big fan of uh, Orson Welles. And what he had to do, especially towards the end of his career, un unfortunately enough, is he had to film in piecemeal style. You know, when he had the people, when he had most importantly the money, he could afford to go on location with the actors and figured out how to shoot what he needed to shoot. And then when they ran out of money, went back to America and he, he, he would act and he didn't think much of acting. He was a director and he would do whatever he, he had to, to, to earn money as an actor or maybe, maybe other ways, earn money and then go back to shooting his film. Uh, the Other Side of the Wind, he never finished. He, he shot that for years. Um, Othello shot that for years. Um, and, and there's like reaction shots that are from uh, an action that happened years earlier that they'd, uh, they'd filmed. And, uh, and he recreated it. And this is all me, uh, my way of saying that he made it work. He found the time eventually, the money eventually, to tell piece by piece the story. And that was an exceptional lesson in that we only had two weeks when we were filming um, Monday as part of Rebel Without a Crew. And there was at least two big fight sequences, including the final fight sequence, uh, that we really shot almost throughout the two weeks. Um, we kept going from one location to another location to another backyard to another backyard and piecing together this action sequence that was all supposed to take place, you know, bop, 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 you know, fight, 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 fight. Um, and it looks great. You can't tell. You can't tell because of the way they lit it and because of the post-production, uh, the sound design, the, um, the, the coloring, you know, that helped to seamlessly make all those different shots come together and tell one sequence. And that's a big takeaway for me as uh, an actor getting more and more into filmmaking. Uh, it, it's very inspiring that, you know, I don't want to keep shooting and wasting people's time if, if a certain sequence isn't working or if I think I need other things. But if I don't get a sequence shot, I can find it maybe in the edit or I can go back at some point with more time, with more money and figure it out and tell that story. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, because you never want to start something you can't finish. That's kind of a big one for me. And we were talking about this before the podcast even started. <laughs> mm -hmm. I said, I'm probably going to get deep about some of this stuff. But what, you know, what do we, 
um, what do we leave? Uh, we have to be on social media all the time. And so you do have to say things. You can't say nothing because then you don't exist. So you do have to say things. But how do you curate who you are, what your brand is? And maybe people won't be reading your, twi- your, um, your tweet in 100 years, but they will be reading it in 10 years, in 20 years. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you have to, that has to coalesce. Right. But if you don't coalesce, yeah. But if you, if you don't know right now, it's kind of okay. You can go back. It's just a point that you do start. Do start and have the faith that you can finish. And that was a big takeaway, too, that, that I really feel strongly in my heart that indie filmmaking is fueled by faith, where a lot of Hollywood, you know, just despite your criticisms or, or whatever genre of film you aspire to make or, or just love. It, uh, I lost my train of thought. What was I? What was I talking about? Filmmaking takes a lot of it's a lot of faith in indie filmmaking is what you were saying. Yeah. So, okay. So in Hollywood and in TV, things just can be made through force of will. That that's what I'm trying to say. Things can just because that's what people's jobs are. Mm -hmm. They go to work every day and they just do their thing. And that's and that's great. And so you get a lot of things and everything is pretty much serviceable. You know, it tells a story from beginning to end. It looks great. It sounds great. All the rest. Indie filmmaking, though, because it's not necessarily people's jobs, you know, they're not necessarily getting paid their quote. So they have faith in each other in the project for it to complete and have a certain value through what they've shot and through how it will be handled in, in post-production, marketing, etc. And so that's, that, that, that was a big takeaway that like you have to foster that sense of faith, that, that, that sense of, of a team. Because in Hollywood, you don't have to. You know, people are just going to show up and if, if they don't do their job, they get fired and they get replaced. It's, it's, it's very, um, it's very mechanical. It's, it's, it's a, it's more of a business where indie cinema is more about, it's more about the family. It's, it, it's a support structure. You know, you get to choose who you want to be around and they get to choose to put their faith in you. And so there's, there's that balance there that's extremely organic and extremely heartwarming. It, it's, it's a very positive experience. Maybe you can cut out where I, where, or I made that tangent. <laughs> I don't know. I've been thinking about such. No, that was amazing. No, 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 no. We, we're that's that's all. No, that's all been. You just you just be yourself, man. That's your you're you're the guest. Your thoughts are very important to us. So, well, well, see, that's what I do. Is I go from these really big ideas and I try to marry them to the the technical details, and then I like expanding it back out again because we kind of do have this duality. We have to live in both worlds, otherwise neither works. But it's it's such a struggle to go between those. Those two ideas, the, the big picture and the minutiae. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do everything, man. And I'm excited, right. but sometimes it's like, it's paralyzing or it's, it's, you know, it's too much, but I, I'm excited and I'm trying to draw more people to me. I, I'm trying to lead that team. And in LA, you know, I've been here for two years. Uh, I, I found a, a couple really, really solid people. And I think in indie filmmaking, you need to have those people very family, very family, capital F. It's, it's not just, imp- it's, it's vital to making work. So I, I'm, I'm trying to amass that, that family, that production company and, and, and march forward. It's not easy. Right. But if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. True. Yeah. I think this whole podcast just needs to have a ton of like inspirational music playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Deep thoughts by Jamie. <laughs> well, I've got two questions to, to ask that, I'm trying to make a staple of 
what I'm doing with, uh, you know, especially these rebel ones and, uh, for future guests and things like that. So sure. You said you said you were from Texas and, you know, you spent time in Texas. I spent some time in Texas because my dad was in the U.S. Uh, Air Force. So I was born in Missouri, okay. uh, lived in Japan three years, uh, England seven years, Ger- uh, Texas um, six years, Germany five years, New York, wow. New York five years. I passed through New Mexico, which is where I met Alejandro. My family now lives in Albuquerque. Nice. And I've been living in L.A. for two. You've been all over. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I was just going to ask, uh, when was the last time you had Whataburger? <laughs> man, I think it, yeah, it must have been before 2000. Oh, man. Long time ago. Whoa, 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 whoa. I know. <laughs> so you're saying like 18 years? Yeah. What were you doing in Austin? I mean, I know you were filming a movie and everything, but they're 24-7. No, we went, we went and got tacos. I mean, yeah, tacos are good and all, but it's, it's not Whataburger. No, it's tacos. Oh, man, my heart is broken. That is, that is the that that is the saddest answer I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, Dan, Daniel Daniel was talking about how he's never had it because you know he's from Minnesota. Wow. He was down there, and nobody took him to there, and that seems more reasonable than having had it before and not having it in eighteen years. Like my heart <laughs> yeah, breaks. For I you. didn't. I didn't remember it being an event. So uh, another thing. So I have to see um how to train your dragon in Whataburger. Maybe maybe yeah. there's a drive-in I can go to in Austin. Or Make something. a day of it, yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. When that third one comes out, maybe you can. When the third one comes out, I want to say in February or March. Maybe you can go to Austin and get some Whataburger and watch it in the drive-through. Wow, that's a plan, man. That sounds like a good one. Yeah, you get all the good stuff. We'll we'll, uh, we'll share a milkshake. <laughs> oh wow, I, I was not expecting that. Eighteen years. Oh. <laughs> The fact that I had it a little over 18 days ago makes me sad. Whoa. <laughs> but yeah, in, uh, in New Mexico, they have Blake's Lotta Burger, which is famous for its green chili and, uh, and seasoned uh-huh. fries. And that is, that is the best, I think. It is funny that you bring it up because in the western part of Texas and in some of the Whataburgers in New Mexico, you can get a green chili double burger. No way. And I, I will say that it is hands down the best burger ever made. I love me some green chili. All right, yeah, so you definitely need to go to a Whataburger, preferably in the western <laughs> part of Texas or New Mexico, sure. and get a green chili double, because I think it will, it will, it'll change your life. <laughs> if you love green chili, especially on a burger, the green chili double will change your life. Wow. It's a date. Man, I'm going to start looking at plane tickets. I'll, I'll come down there, <laughs> and I'll join you so we can walk you through it, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll show you some how to train your dragon. Or wait, you're looking at plane tickets, so can I like Uber Eats, and you can, you can bring it on a plane for me? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> It's a good plan. I mean, at that point, it might as well just be I order it because uh, <laughs> I don't think they Uber Eats there. Because when I was there, I was in my hotel room and I was kind of being lazy and I was like, I don't want to drive to one. Maybe somebody will deliver me Whataburger and I couldn't find it. So, uh, I mean, granted, this was just in Midland, Texas, though. I mean, d- don't get me wrong. I then got my happy ass in my car and drove there because I was like, well, nobody's going to bring it to me and I'm going to eat it now. So I did. <laughs> sure. Um, but this is the unofficial fourth question of the game. We just started this on our last podcast, and it's it's going to sound a little weird at first. It's going to sound like it doesn't make sense as far as what movies and everything like that goes, but there's actually a cinematic reason for this question, and I'll get into that after you answer it, but what's your favorite sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite sandwich? So, like a burger? Is that a sandwich? I, I do consider a burger a sandwich. Okay. Because yeah. then we just, we just talked about it, a Blake Slaughter burger, a uh, green chili cheeseburger. 
Hmm. Yeah, which is, um, it's actually, what's it? Because there's the It's a Burger. Oh, it's the Lotta Burger. That's the big one. It's a Lotta Burger. Hmm. Okay. Okay. See, and I, I do respect that. I love a good Brötchen as well. Um, because um, we lived in Germany for five years. And so you go down to the lo- local bakery and they'd have like all the little rolls they just made. And so you get like, you, you know, you say, kann ich acht Brötchen bitte? And then you'd bring them yeah. home and mom would, would make, um, you know, put ham and cheese, you know, a turkey and Swiss maybe in a, in a warmed brötchen. Oh, man, that'd be the best. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I, I, I do respect that, especially like the simplicity of it all. I think that's one reason why I love the green chili double. It's a very simple burger. Oh, yeah. Uh, even traditionally, even outside of that, when you just talk about like a burger, you can get it any places. I like going very simple with it. So I and I think like simplicity is lost on a lot of things, you know, because you can get these burgers now that have like, you know, like 12 ingredients in the burger, which I oh, mean, no, they're, no, no. They're, they're fantastic burgers. They're fantastic. I mean, they, you know, like these like chefs create this and it's, you know, crafted and everything. And it's it's fine and all. But like the simplicity is kind of lost. And I think that's what's always made things like that, like beautiful. Like to me, like if you're just asking me, like if I'm making like a cheeseburger for myself or something like that, it's like mustard, onions pickles and meat and cheese like it's a very simple yeah. basic burger and like and i think that's fantastic because i can get that burger anywhere and you can actually care like you can tell who cares about making a good version of that basic burger that way like like by wanting something simple you can tell who really cares about making that simple thing great that's true it's a good test isn't it it's it's like i judge every like chinese food restaurant or like a thai restaurant on like the most basic things like if a Chinese food restaurant has shitty fried rice, mm-hmm. I'm not going to I'm not going to trust like the rest of their food. If they can't get that right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's like a Thai restaurant. If they can do if they can't do pad Thai right. Why the fuck am I going to eat anything else on that menu? And it's like so like at a burger place, if they fuck up just a basic burger like that, I'm not going to get that burger. That's like 30 bucks. That should be good because they can't do they can't do the simple things right. Oh, I hear you, man. Hmm, that's fair. But just to let you in on it, one of my all-time favorite movies is Chef, and that movie revolves around a lot of, like, the Cubano, the Cuban sandwich, which is also my all-time favorite sandwich. <laughs> okay. And so I was I was watching that movie because I am kind of like you. I do watch, no, I do watch a lot more variety than you do sometimes, but I do have a habit of watching some of the same things over and over again still. Yeah. Like, for a while, I was watching... Uh, Starship Troopers once a week. <laughs> um, now that's a guilty pleasure movie, right? And I watch no because it's good. It's just always good. There's no guilt in it. Oh, that's is just it? pure pleasure. Is it okay? Um, yes. Sure. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh my! Now I also have watched and love all of the sequels to it because there are five of them now. Wait, what movie is this? Starship Troopers. Oh, I'm thinking of Super Troopers. Maybe I don't know the difference. Okay, Super Troopers oh. would be Super Troopers would be a guilty pleasure. Starship Troopers, though, is just a pleasure because it's a fantastic movie. <laughs> um, no jeez. But like, I I watch Ghostbusters easily once every two or three months, mm-hmm. the original, <laughs> and I've I've been doing that for years. <laughs> I mean, that was that was my parents' version of a babysitter when I was younger. <laughs> like, they wouldn't necessarily just leave that on and like leave the house, but if they wanted to shut me up for like an hour and forty five minutes, they'd just put Ghostbusters on. And if they needed more time, they would just hit play again. And yeah, that was an easy way to just have me not bother you when I was a kid was Ghostbusters. And it's still that yeah. way. I just I, I, I love that movie so much. And a few years ago, uh, 
I want to say in 2014, that was the uh, 30th anniversary of it. And they, they brought it back to theaters as like a phantom event. And that was the first time because I, I was born the year after it came out. Sure. And it was so amazing to be able to watch that in theaters. Like that changed my fucking life, being able to watch Ghostbusters like in a theater like that. Oh, it's so fucking fantastic. Well, the audience is pumped up for it, huh? Oh, yeah, I bet they were. Some people were. I, I was a little surprised enough weren't. I was kind of huh. expecting it to be like Rocky Horror Picture Show or something yeah, like that. right? Where people are like quoting the movie the entire time. That's what I'm expecting. Because mm. that's what I can do. There's not a scene <laughs> in that fucking movie I can't quote, you know? Yeah. And I like I was expecting that, like that very interactive like version of watching it. And I don't typically like things like that because I feel like it's ruining a movie. But I was fully going into that, expecting it. I'm like, no, this is Ghostbusters, like 30 years. Like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Let's all sit here and quote shit. Hopefully not wrong like any time you watch Monty Python, the Holy Grail with people. Oh, boy. I think that's the most misquoted movie in the history of ever. Ain't nothing but a flesh wound. Ain't, ain't nothing but... <laughs> I really wish that that was the original wording. <laughs> I do love the way you said that, though. Has- hashtag ain't nothing but a flesh wound. Right. I kind of want this movie to be remade now and that to be the actual line now. <laughs> right. Like a modern, a modern updating of it. Like we can do it like the Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio version of it. Oh, yeah. Where you everybody dresses modern and everything like that. Like kind of like a mix, kind of like a mix between Monty Python, Holy Grail, and I'm going to get you sucker. <laughs> like a mash between those two movies. Combined, uh, combined with the visual stylings of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. I want to say one thing for the Cine fans. You heard it here first. A large part of Sterling's childhood and one of his greatest memories is of Dan Aykroyd getting a blowjob from a phantom. No, that's 100% accurate. <laughs> no. And and Bill Yikes. Murray kind of being a, a, a rapist. Um, He's a little rapey, yeah. Hey, it happens. It happens in these films. That's very rapey. It, especially because he has an incredibly powerful sedative just on hand for a date. He's going on a yeah. date and he's got a fucking sedative in his fucking carry-on. Like his date bag has a sedative that can take down a demon. I didn't know Bill Cosby was in Ghostbusters. <laughs> hey <up. laughs> Well, as long as we're making a remake, yeah. Yeah, they, he was, you know, he was originally who the part was written for. Peter Venkman was supposed to be Bill Cosby. Cats and dogs! I don't know. <laughs> yeah, wow, was that Bill Cosby or was that Bobcats? Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel that was more on the Bobcat side of things. <laughs> oh, no, because oh, I always think of like uh, the Fat Albert character. That's oh, okay, yeah, okay. there we go. Oh, hey, 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 there's some ghost that's, up in That's this right. Bitch. Whenever I think of Bill Cosby, I always think of that. That, yeah, not his actual speaking voice. <laughs> See, I can't I can't remember what he actually sounds like outside of the like the pudding pop commercials. Oh, like the jello and pudding right, commercials. That's, right. that's the only way I can remember what Bill Cosby sounds like. <laughs> like you could like play me a clip of the Cosby show and somebody else doing his voice and I'd be like, "Yeah, that's him." <laughs> I would have no idea. But you give me like the pudding pop thing, like I'm like, "Oh, that's Bill." That's I'm like, cool. no, like if somebody else does it, I'm like, oh, no, that's not him. If you dub the pudding commercials, I'll know you're a liar. <laughs> but anything else he's in, I would have no idea. I kind of want to hear Devin do the um, Bill Cosby voice with the flesh wound line <laughs> just to see how that plays out. Well, you know, 
When you get hit with the sword, <laughs> it hits you in your arm, and your pudding comes out, and you think it's pudding, but you taste it, and it doesn't taste like a pudding pop, and it's red. Oh, zaba da ba do ba That's dead on. Yep, there it is. Thank you for that. I do appreciate that you said the word pudding, because otherwise I wouldn't have known that was a Bill Cosby impression. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Like, if you did say the word pudding as Bill Cosby, I would have no idea. But then you said pudding, and I was like, oh, that's the Bill Cosby version. Got it. What is it? There we go. Yep. Oh, man. Well, that's enough talk about sex offenders. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. We- I mean, that kind of slightly <laughs> ruined uh, Ghostbusters for me. I might have to put it off like two more weeks Aww. than I normally do. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to watch it. But Jamie, to you, what is the most underrated movie for you? Or a like a very good underrated movie that you want people to know about. Hmm. I don't know. Nothing's coming to mind. It's unfortunate, but I I I do use Netflix a lot these days to watch movies, and so <laughs> that's you know, totally fine. I I am seeing a lot of what everybody else is seeing. Things that are not underrated, but rated. <laughs> um. <laughs> I do. I, I let's see. Oh. I, I love this Noah Baumbach film called Kicking and Screaming. I think it's incredibly underrated. No one ever talks about it. And they talk about, you know, like the Meyerowitz stories um, that, that just came out. That was uh, produced through mm. Netflix. Yeah. With Adam Sandler and, uh, and Dustin Hoffman. Um, <laughs> and, and, and his collaboration with Wes Anderson. You know, people know, know Noah Baumbach is like screenplays with um, like the Squid and the Whale. Um, I think he did okay. some other like yeah. um, really good movie. Margot and the Wedding. Love Squid and the Well. Yeah, but Kicking and Screaming. Is- it has the word masturbatory in it. <laughs> but Kicking and Screaming is a fantastic movie because it's about this group of of um, of kids that are graduating from college and they're trying to figure out like, do they go to graduate school? And they kind of just they don't move too far away from the college. One of them is like still trying to date girls that are still going to the college. Um, and they're all kind of really failing at, at, at life after college, basically. And it's, um, it's just really heartbreaking to see these, these people and these very kind of ordinary lives talk very grandiosely about what they're not doing and what they should be doing. Hmm. It's a very talky movie. Um, but I think there's a lot of subtext. There's a lot, a lot going on in that movie that's um, extremely <sighs> heartbreaking. And funny. That sounds good. And part of that sounds like a like a better version of Dazed and Confused. Like yeah, actually, at least yeah. like like spe- like kind of speaking with things because you're like, oh, there's a guy still trying to like date women in college. I'm like, well, that's still better than you know what's his name Matthew McConaughey's character wanting to fuck high school kids. So <laughs> yeah. that's at least better. <laughs> that you know they took a step up in that. And on that note, thank you guys for listening and everything. We do appreciate that. Check out our website www www.cinemaslayers.com uh, you can also buy merch there if you want we've got a link to our Threadless store there we've got some really awesome shirts, hoodies, stickers uh, blankets uh, you can even get a wall tapestry if I'm remembering correctly, um, coffee mugs any of your uh, needs or anything like that they'd make some great stocking stuffers because the holidays are coming up so go ahead and purchase some stuff on that if you want guys and uh, we are on uh, Twitter cinema underscore slayers, we're on Instagram at cinema slayers, we're on Facebook uh, check us out. You know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, Hey, I really wish this was on Spotify. Guess what? It is now. So you guys can listen to this on Spotify and Jamie, where can people find you? I have a personal website, uh, www.jamiehyoung.com. Uh, and I'm on social media. 
at Jamie H. Young. And, and Young is spelled J-U-N-G. Awesome. I'll, I'll put a link to that also in the show notes. So Sweet. if anybody needs to like, you know, find his website, I'll have it there for you and his name will be spelled and everything. So it'll be very easy for you guys to find. And other than that, guys, thank you for listening. <laughs>